And we're in a sermon series where we are talking about uh, drawing close to God. And then um, the alternate weeks, we're talking about praying for others, so intimacy and intercession. And we're doing that with multiple voices. So this morning, Nicholas Lirio is going to uh, share with us first as we're talking about drawing close to God and intimacy. Right here. Right here for you. You definitely don't want me singing. No, we hear it sometimes. We've got a mic right there, so we we hear the Schmitz in our ears. Oh, man. I'm nervous about how loud I might be, Nick, so so sorry about that. Uh, My name is Nicholas. There's a lot of things about me. You only need to know two. I love you dearly, and I love God with all of my heart. Yeah. Well, all right, Andrew, you back? You coming back? Uh, Here, let, let me open with prayer real quick. I know John just prayed, but yeah, Lord. Help. Amen. Uh, This morning, Pastor Andrew asked me to talk about intimacy. Man, I love intimacy with the Lord. It's it's like the calling of our life. And uh, and he he gave me um, 10 minutes. So we're going to do this. Uh, Nick or Adam, would you throw up the, would you throw up, thank you. If you take notes, this would be the title this morning, A Prophet, A Prayer, and A King, but uh, with only 10 minutes, we might only get to prophet, so it might just be called A Prophet. Um, and I was talking to the Lord throughout this time when Andrew asked me to speak with you all, and, and I kept getting boldness, boldness before the Lord. Boldness moves the Lord, and, and the, the, usually I, I would lead up into some big phrase, or, but I'm going to tell you, if you only get one thing, I'm going to tell you the one thing I would ask that you get. Boldness will get you into the throne room, and the king wants to see you, and his name is Dad. If that's all you get today, that's it. Boldness will get you into the throne room. The king wants to see you, and his name is Dad. Now back to a prophet, I want to I take us to the story of Moses in Exodus 19, I believe, or, or 20. I, I think I've got a verse up there, Adam. Uh, the Israelites are asked to come before the Lord. I'll read it here. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. And said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. I want a a little sidetrack. Thunder and lightning represent two things I'm finding out in the Bible. Thunder represents the voice of God and lightning represents the power. Right? When when thunder comes, it's the voice of the Lord. He's causing enemies to flee just with his thunder, with his voice. And lightning represents the power, his authority coming and doing his will. It's so, it, it's so clear that in the New Testament, Jesus was spoken to by God through the heavens, and half of the people heard him say, this is my son whom I am well pleased, and half of the people only heard thunder. That freaks me out a little bit, that I can hear God's voice and not know it's him. Right, so these these people saw the voice and power of God in his majesty, and albeit probably just a tiny part of his majesty, on the mountain, striking, ferocious, and yet good, and they said, not for me, not for me. The Israelites had just been on an incredible journey. They had just been with the Lord in Egypt, and then the Lord brought them out. It is the salvation story that you hear repeated throughout the whole Old Testament. The God who brought us through the Red Sea and delivered us from Egypt. 
And today I wanna tell you have a similar story. And if you don't, I invite you to have that story. In our lives, in the darkness, in our hearts, in the world encroaching around us, we have a person, a savior who is saying, you can be saved. I will deliver you out of this. And all we have to do is accept him. That makes Christ our savior. And for them, God was their savior, their savior out of Egypt. And then they get the commandments, right? They get the commandments and the Lord says, do these things. And Israel says, we will. It's actually a really dramatic scene where they go up on a mountain and they're shouting. They're basically giving wedding vows back and forth between them and God, which is a really offensive thing to think about. But they, they're, they're exchanging saying, Lord, you are my Lord. I will do what you say. Right, And we can do that today in our lives. The Lord gives us direction. He calls us. He speaks to us. And we have the option to do those things. Just the other day, I told my friend a lie. My goodness. I just bold-faced lied to his face. And the next day, or maybe two days later, I was in the prayer room. And the Lord, I was like, Lord, come meet with me. Lord, I just want to see you. And he was like, not that badly. You're lying to your friends. And, uh, and I was like, well, I'll, I'll just... I'll just confess it between you and me, and it'll be great. And for like 45 minutes, I was, I was going nowhere. I was not hearing the voice of the Lord. I was not interacting with him at all. And uh, finally, I was like, okay, fine. And I dragged my behind to that friend. I told him, hey, I lied to you. Right? In that instance, I was allowing the Lord to be my Lord. I was listening to him. So the Israelites, they are saved by God. They are brought out of Egypt. They get the commandments from the Lord and they say, we will do that. So not only is he their savior, he is also their Lord. But then the Lord comes and he says, I want to have intimacy with you. I want to be your friend. I'm sorry, Lord. That's too scary for me. And I find there are two reasons, only two. And we give lots of reasons, but there are only two when it boils down to one of two beliefs. One, Lord, I don't believe you're as good as you say you are. See, you're saying you're good, but the mountain is shaking and the lightning is striking and the thunder is roaring and I'm just having a hard time believing that you could love me and you are good and you want what's good for me. And we say that to ourselves all the time. Man, I, I really think God is good. God, he's so good. But then he invites us in and... I don't know if he actually wants what's good for me. If I don't watch out for myself, who's going to watch out for me? The, the, the second thing that I, I hear, people don't say it, but you hear it, you know, when they're talking to you, you hear it, is uh, I'm not worthy to be before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm not good. I'm just a worm. Why would God want to be with me? the God of the universe? Why would he want my attention? Why would he want 30 minutes out of my day? What do I have to offer him? My goodness. I, my favorite verse in the Bible and the one that you guys probably all know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Let's read it actually. His only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is incredible. God wants you. You. In Romans, I don't think I have this one, sorry, Adam. In Romans, it says, while you were still sinners, God decided you were worthy to die for you. 
It's a big deal. And now I'm actually, I'm going to try, I'm going to attempt to show you that, that spending time with him, having intimacy with him, is eternal life. It is why Christ died. In John 17, verse 3, we have, uh, perhaps, ah, now this, and it, to set the tone, this is Christ praying to his Father, having a dialogue, and says, now this is eternal life, that them, they, those people, the people following me, that the people of this world would know you, the Father, above all, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. What's eternal life? That they would know you. The word know there doesn't mean know like knowledge. The word know there means to experience, to dive in. It's kind of offensive, but it's actually the same no. If you take the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, it's the same word that Adam knew Eve and they had a son, right? A deep experience knowing. I had a teacher one time who was teaching business. Um, here's the thing, he had never started a business. He just had a master's degree in business. Uh, nothing wrong with that, but he was teaching it. Uh, but he, he, he didn't know how to, how to start a business. But I have a good friend who, my goodness, barely graduated high school. God bless his soul. And he started a business, and he knows how to start a business. His business is killing it. That man knows. Through experience, through the trenches, he knows business. Similarly, and much more powerfully, the Lord invites us to know him, to be with him, to spend time with him. How can we get to know him if we do not spend time with him? Do we just assume that the person on the podium will tell us enough about God that when we get to heaven, we'll have the right answers and they'll let us in? Or is Jesus actually gonna go, man, you are my friend. You spent time with me, thank you. And then we take off on our relationship right where we left off. Right, why, why can't it start here? Why can't eternal life start now? Right, because our bodies are gonna die, but our spirits never will, and you have your spirit. Now, I actually wanna get to the points, a prophet, a prayer, and a king, and, and we want to look at the Old Testament in an overarching view. When, when looking at the Old Testament and, and when heroes of the faith look at Moses, it represents the salvation of Israel um, from Egypt. One of the two things, also the law, but we're going to focus on the salvation of Israel. The salvation of Israel. And then you have, then you have Joshua. And the first chapter of Joshua is marked by the Lord saying, hey, never let my commands leave your lips, that you would follow me forever, that you would never lack in courage, and you would have the strength to take over many armies much bigger than yourself. All right, so you've got Moses over here, the salvation of Israel, and then you get to Joshua, the lordship of the Lord over Israel, but then you get to maybe the most talked about man in the Bible besides the Lord himself, and that's David. Man, what a man. Just so you are familiar with how amazing this man is, um, we are all labeled by Christ. We are followers of Christ. David has a different title. Actually, he's not the one with the title. Jesus Christ himself has a title, son of David, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying heresy. I'm not saying David's greater than God. Nothing, nothing like that. But listen, 
we are labeled by the Lord because he's very important. David was so marked and so moved the heart of God that not only was Jesus Christ called the son of David, Many theologians believe that the throne, and when you read through the Bible, it's, it's kind of debatable on how they're interpreting it. They believe that the throne is called the throne of David, and Christ forever sits on the throne of David. That's how big of a deal this guy is. That's how much he has moved the Lord's heart, right? And, and David uh, was a heretic. Here's why. The Lord saves Israel. Then he gives a lot of commandments, and in those commandments, it's how you're going to build the temple and who's allowed to be around the altar. And David, through the intimacy of the Lord and deep faith, pulled what was for only us after Christ died, he pulled it into his era, and he went straight into the altar. Could you pull up that verse in in 2 Samuel? They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. Man, that dude is not allowed to do that. That is not okay. By any means. And man, that man made such a mark on the Lord's heart. That the Lord allowed what was supposed to be just for us, people after Christ had died. Allowed David to interact with him in that way. And here's what I believe was the difference. Boldness. If you read Psalms, David talks to God, sometimes not like he could smite him in a second. He's like telling God what to do. It freaks me out a little bit. I'm like, whoa, hey, whoa. You need to get a hold of yourself, David. You need to bow down. All right, that God's your Lord. Man, and David could say, yeah, but he's also my friend. And like technically my great, 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 great grandchild. But, uh, The kind of boldness David had was when, when Goliath was on, when Goliath was in front of Israel, David walked up to the Goliath, who already, this is like a crazy scenario, and then says, I'm going to cut off your head today. And David didn't even have a sword. He didn't bring a sword with him. He looked that giant in the face and said, I'm going to cut off your head today. That's the kind of boldness David had. And then he brought that into the presence of the Lord. So today, I want to invite you, go to the Lord with boldness. Because boldness will get you into the room and that man, that king, that savior, that Lord, that friend, he wants to talk to you. He wants to. He's desperate. He's so eager. He says, all I'm waiting for right now is to have a little bit of time with my friend. Tell him what you're going through. Tell him what you're excited about. Talk to him about nothingness. Man, he loves that. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. What was that joy? Is that we would have eternal life. And what is that? That we would know him. That we would spend time with him. That's what he wants. That's all he wants. And this, this, isn't, this isn't a condemnation. Oh, if you're not spending time with him, get your life together, get a grip. It's just an invitation. Man, the king wants to talk with you. I don't care what it looks like, if it's in the car, if it's at work. The youth students and I, by the way, the youth students, if you want to be around people of God, hang out with people 18 and under that love the Lord. My goodness, I go to youth group to learn. Um, and something we were talking about was just for like five seconds during the day, 
Man, Lord. I want you to know in the middle of this really boring spreadsheet, I'm thinking about you and I love you. Boom, presence of the Lord, gone before the throne room. Really complicated, really hard stuff. Maybe, maybe, it is, maybe you are someone that spends two hours every morning in the word and you're learning about the Lord. But are you, are you entering the presence? Lord, I invite you in this place. I want to talk with you. I believe you have something to say to me. All right. For fear of going over I, uh, in time, uh, I, I want to end with this. Exactly how I started. Boldness will get you into the throne room. And there is a king there who wants to talk with you. And his name is Dad. Hey, Nicholas, why don't you go ahead and pray for us. Pray, pray that we would have boldness to approach the throne of grace. God, you are so good. I thank you for that. I pray that boldness would come upon our hearts, that faith would rise up within us, and that we would find the courage, whether given to us or had already, to walk in your presence, believing you are good, and that we are worth your time and attention. Holy Spirit, come. Amen. 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 Thank you. So I want to continue this invitation to intimacy. I want to, I want to remind you of a couple things we've talked about related to intimacy. One is that God in the Bible, it says he's present everywhere. It does say that multiple times in the Bible, that God is present everywhere. But it also says there's a, there's a difference. He's not present everywhere in the same way. He wants to be present somewhere. He wants to be personally present to people, where people know his tangible presence, where people have a relationship with him. He was present in a different way in the Garden of Eden, and then he was present in a different way in tents and tabernacles and temples, that that's the place where heaven and earth came together. And then he was present in a different way in Jesus when God became a human being and his presence was in that human being. That's different than him just being present everywhere. Where he was present, different things happened, and then he wants to be present in a people, in the followers of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, that's his heart, is to be present somewhere, to be personally, powerfully present to people that want him, that want his presence. So going back to the very first week, Camille offered a definition for intimacy, kind of a summary definition of intimacy that we'll bring up to the, on the screen right now. Intimacy is closeness in relationship that builds over time. How do we have closeness in a relationship with God that builds over time? That's different. That's different than relationships with people because God's invisible and God's, you know, God and we're not God. And, and so how does that work? And we've been talking about things over these weeks that help. Things like ministering to the Lord or worshiping him or praising him, being out in his creation and remembering that the things we see, the created things we see point to a creator serving the least of these and knowing that that's where Jesus is most present is sometimes in the most heartbreaking, difficult, uh, needy situations. That's where he is. There's reading the word. I want to talk about one of the ways that we draw close to God that isn't always as, as obvious, I don't think, or isn't, maybe, it's, maybe that's not the right word. It's not very natural, I don't think. But before I do that, I want to look at a verse that's... Um, Maybe if I was going to just pick one verse to, to say, here, see, the Bible encourages us to be close to God, it's this. It's from James chapter 4, verse 8, 
where it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Some translations say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's a promise. We go near to God, he promises he'll come near to us. I love that promise. That's a great promise. If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. The strange thing is where that promise is located and what it says before and after it. Because when I hear that promise, if I just draw near to God, he'll draw near to me, I am thinking warm, fuzzy thoughts. I am thinking just, you know, like a little kid crawling up on his parents' lap, just like that. And that is true. That's, what, that's what's here. But it doesn't feel like that in terms of what surrounds it. Let me start with verse 4 of chapter 4. I'm going to read right through. I'm going to get back to this, draw near to God or come close to God and he will come close to you. But let me, let me put it in context. Verse 4, you adulterous people. Yeah. This does not sound like an invitation to get close. You adulterous people. Now that adultery is, has to do with a people who are chasing after other gods instead of the God. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, this is very confusing because Nicholas just let, read that God so loves the world. He loves the world. But then he tells us, if we get to be too close to the world, that's not good. It's like being an enemy of God. It feels like a double standard to me. We'll get to that. Here it says, don't be a friend of the world. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Like, he wants to be present with his people. Like, jealously. Like, zealously. Like, he, he wants to be the most important thing to you because we need him to be the most important thing to us. He jealously wants that. I love this. In the midst of these, like, this is a little, a little harsh. But he gives us more grace. But he gives us more grace grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and evil. He and it will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Same verse even that it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. It says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. This is not the verse I put up on my mirror in the morning. Put your joy to gloom. That's a good way to start the day. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This feels really strange. Well, let's go to that passage that Nicholas just just read John 3:16. And let's get the full picture of that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But what else does it say? Here's what it says next. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not put their confidence in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Jesus is full of light. There is no darkness in him. Light has come into the world, 
But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So here, when I bring all this together, here's what I think. God who loves the world and loves people wants to call us out of darkness into light, out of evil into goodness, out of sin and into salvation. He wants to pull us into what's best for us and he reaches for us. He comes, he sends his son, he is reaching for us. And our response is like, uh, I don't know. I don't know, because it doesn't feel natural to follow his ways. And so the more that we are in darkness or in sin or in shame, the more that we are friends with the world in the sense that we do what the world says and the world says we don't need God. How can we construct a system where we don't need God? And so then we stay in darkness. He is reaching for us to pull us into the light. And it's us that's like, won't reach back because it's like we have to let go of some things that we just don't want to let go of. And so we stay there. But he reaches for us. So I want to give you one of the things that I think is helpful in drawing close to God. And that is this, it is confession. It is what I just heard Nicholas talking about, confessing that Jesus is Savior and Lord. If you believe in your heart and you say with your mouth and you confess with your mouth, it says in Romans 10, that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you're saved. What does that mean? I believe you know what's best. You have what's right. Your ways are best. You should be in charge. You are in charge. I also know I'm not following that. So I don't need you just to be Lord. I need you to be Savior too. And he says, okay, I'm reaching for you. Now do we reach back? And so, when, so the one confession, the most important confession, is Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior. But also, in the things that I do that don't match what Jesus says is best, I need to confess those. Because otherwise what happens is I start to call light darkness and darkness light. And I get confused of what's good and what's not good. And I do whatever's right in my own eyes. Or I do whatever the world says I should be doing. And I'm missing out. He's reaching for me, but I'm with the world. And I'm into myself. And I'm into the darkness. And I'm like hiding instead of reaching. But when I confess, I at least acknowledge, you're Lord. You say this. I'm not doing this. You're Lord. Forgive me. You're Lord your savior, I'm going to acknowledge that. And what's strange is when we are in our own darkness, sadness, sickness, despair, we tend to isolate instead of reaching. We got a God who's reaching for us. Instead of reaching back to him, we tend to like go like this, distance instead of closeness. Our sins cause us to choose distance instead of reaching for closeness. One more passage. 
from 2 Corinthians. It says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out, of, out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, this is the same person. Just to be clear, it's not that he's saying, never be around anybody except Christians. Only listen to the Christian music. Only go to the Christian stores. Only put on the Christian bumper stickers. I don't think, that's, I don't think he'd be a Christian bumper sticker guy, actually. Here, so, here's the thing. What he's... This is the same person who says to these same people, this is Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, he says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might win some to know Jesus. This is the one who said, I got to move on from here because I'm going to go to people who've never heard about Jesus. His heart is for people. This is what it means to to be uh, in the world but not of the world. So he's saying, I don't want the world to be influencing me and making me less like Jesus and more in darkness, I want to be the one influencing the world with God's love for the world. I don't want to be like the world. I want to be like God who set me apart to be different. So we need to be different. We can't let the world be influencing us and calling the shots. We want the Lord to call the shots. And then when we go into the world, we will influence the world. So that's what he's saying. If we go back to verse 16... What agreement is there between the temple of God, that's us who believe in Jesus. Because that's where he wants his presence to dwell. He wants his presence in us and moving through us. And idols. What do we have to do with idols? What do we, who has the living God reaching for us, the loving Father reaching for us, what do we want to do with idols? He says, I want you to be my people, and I will be your God, and I will live with you, and my presence will be with you. So just don't do idols. But, but, our hearts are drawn to idols. Our hearts are like idol-making factories. And what idols are is when we get things out of order, when we put created things above God. And it can happen with many good things, and it can happen with things that aren't good as well. But it gets out of order. And in our world, in our Western 21st century U.S. American world, what has become more and more common is to say in the public space, God isn't there. We have to sort things out without having God in the public space. And so with that, you know, you can't you can, your religion in the private space is okay, but don't bring it to the public space. Don't impose it on anyone else. I understand separation of church and state. But what happens then is that other things take on religious qualities, like politics. Politics has a religious intensity to it right now because there's a vacuum where we're not worshiping God. Sports, racing, shopping, HGTV, you want to know what our idols are? 
what are our channels? How can you watch about food for 24 hours? How can you watch about, uh, you know, HGTV 24 hours? Because that is where we are going to give our attention. Why is Google and Facebook and TikTok, why do they make so much money? Because that is where we give our attention. We have a God who's reaching for us and deep in our hearts, we want to reach back, but we think, I don't have time. Why not? Well, where's our attention going? So, in my early years of ministry, I know I said this multiple places, I can think of multiple churches, I know I said this here. I said that this, and this is, and I also said this just in private, this is where it originated from, it's just in private, where I said, God, if you're better than NFL football, if you're actually better than NFL football, I don't know you yet. Because I like NFL football. And I watch a lot of NFL football. And I think a lot about NFL football. And God's response to me, so, I, so my prayer is, I want to know you so much that I know you're better than NFL football. Not that I'm supposed to like you better than NFL football, but I actually love you more than NFL football. I want to know you that way. And God's response to me was, this is my sense, okay, I'll show you what I am. But you need to do it on my terms. I need to do it on God's terms. And God's terms are, put him first. If I flood my head with NFL football, and then I think like, God, I mean, I sat down, I tried to pray for five minutes. Where are you? That's boring. Football's at least got a little life to it. But it's meaningless. I mean, right? It's meaningless in the end. So, for, so these are the kinds of things I've done from time to time over year, the years, including the month of October. I watched no TV, no sports apps, no news apps for a month. When I picked October, I didn't realize it's five weekends. It's five weekends of football. You know, usually it's four weekends in a month. It's five weekends. I could say to you, I've done this from time to time, this was the easiest it's been. This is easy. He has shown me. He's made good on his promise. He has been reaching for me all along to say, like, yes, I will show you I am better than NFL football. Why don't you give up NFL football for a little while and take my hand? If I don't watch any more football for the rest of my life, I will be just fine. But if I cannot do things that keep me close to the Lord, I will not make it a day. There is nothing, nothing that compares to him. And I learned that when I actually put him first. And so, that is the invitation this morning. The invitation this morning is we confess, here are our idols. We confess, here are the things that we're not making for. And then the second thing, we actually repent. Because sometimes I will confess, like, yep, he got me again, got me again. Shouldn't be doing that. Yep, let's tally that one down. Forgive me. Great. But I have no intention of changing. See, to repent is to actually say, now you, we need help. Can't do it ourselves. 
but to say like, I know I'm going this way and God's going this way, so I'm going to turn and I'm going to make decisions to change. Like my decision to not watch TV for a month is because if I just say, well, I'm going to try harder. I'm not going to lust. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, you know, get angry about things that are going on in, in government and the news. I'm not going to do that. And I'm, not, I'm just going to try harder. And then I just flood myself with stuff that makes me angry, that causes me to lust. That, well, that doesn't work. But when I say, you know what? I don't need all that stuff. I'm going to do it this way. Now, I didn't give up all sports. I went to high school football games. I coached nine-year-old girls playing soccer. <laughs> You're better than that, God. You are better than nine-year-old girls playing soccer. Okay? But there's actually people there. See, what idols do is they make us prioritize things other than God and people. And we want to love God and people first. And then enjoy other good gifts that he gives us, but just keep it in the right order. And the only way for me to do that is to not play fantasy football. Because I think about fantasy football all the time when I'm playing fantasy football. My wife, she could play fantasy football. She'd be really bad at it, but it would not be an idol for her. So it's not like I'm picking on everybody's between you and the Lord, but here's the common thing. He's reaching for us, and we want to remove the things that are keeping us from, from reaching back for him. So we're going to do communion. It's hunting season. It's right hunting season, right? Where's Gary? It really, how are we doing? It's hunting. Yeah. I don't know. Any, obviously, I know a lot about hunting. Very passionate about it. It's one of my idols. I'm going to give it up, though. <laughs> so here's what somebody who does hunt, I heard say. They said when they kill an animal and they go to clean it, the blood is still warm. And they recognize, they recognize this is a life. The blood's still warm as they're going to clean it. This thing was alive a little bit ago. And they made the comparison to communion. When we go to take communion, it's easy to not remember that the blood is still warm. In, in, in my, what I mean by that is, this is a life. Like, how bad did God want to reach for you? Blood. He gave his life reaching for us. What will I not give up for him? gave all things for me. So in communion, this beautiful thing, this invitation, this is why we can be bold about getting close to God. He's not up there going like, well, you forgot about that one, and what about that sin, and oh, yeah, I think that was too many hours on that. I don't think he's like that. I think he's like, I'll give everything for you. I'm reaching for you. So yeah, be bold. Just come. Be close. We won't get it all cleaned up, all up, so we just keep coming. You can just keep coming. You can just keep coming. He is reaching and reaching and reaching. We can come today, clean me up, and I know I'm going to need to get cleaned up again tomorrow, but we can just keep coming right here, right here. So we're going to do communion, but before we do that, we're going to, we're going to confess. So I'm going to ask you to stand. This is a common liturgy of the church. 
and we're going to read it together. Please, please read with me. Almighty, merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. Now before you sit, listen to these words from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 where it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You may be seated. 